If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Today, we are going to be talking personal finance for the nonprofit professional. And my friend, Bobby Monroe, will be joining us for this conversation. Before we get there, though, let me just say it's March 2021. Think about where you were a year ago. Think about all the uncertainty that we were facing. None of us were really sure what the future, what the next year would look like. Well, we've gotten through that year together now. And I know a lot of organizations are emerging from that year and starting to think about strategic planning. If you're an organization that's thinking about strategic planning, I want to let you know that at Successful Nonprofits, we have a participatory, inclusive strategic planning process, and I would love to share more about that process with you. So reach out to me at SuccessfulNonprofits.com if you are interested in strategic planning. But today, as I've said, we are talking personal finance for the nonprofit professional. And one of the reasons we're having this conversation is because so many of us in the nonprofit sector ignore our retirement planning and really ignore our personal financial lives until it is too late. Now, I have known today's guest, Bobby Monroe, for about 20 years or so because she is good friends with a good friend of mine and also a former boss. And I have to share with you listeners that I adore Bobby. She is the maven of money, the dame of the dollar, and the regent of retirement dreams. I have actually had personal finance conversations with her. She is smart. She knows what she is doing. And I'll also share with you that she was the professional financial advisor for an estate that I was the executor of. And she was actually the professional financial advisor of the person who passed away. And oh my gosh, Bobby helped this person set the estate up so well. And really like the moment that I needed to come in as the executor, she's like, Dolph, okay, here are the five things you need to do today. And here are the six things you need to do next week. She was incredible. 
And so when I realized that we wanted to have a show on personal finance for nonprofit professionals, I knew that Bobby Monroe was the person we had to have on. Hey, Bobby, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dolph. Nice to be with you today. Well, I was checking out your website. I've been on it before, of course, but I was checking out your website and getting ready for this show. And of course, your website, real quick, supportingyourchoices.com, which is your practice. And I saw a true story about a young man with moderate income who said he wanted $5 million in assets by retirement. Can you tell us about that? Oh, sure I can. I had been on a, a Q&A forum, do Kiplinger a lot of the time, and there was this young forester, and he had decided he wanted $5 million, okay, when he retired. Well, he's a forester. He's probably making, what, $30,000, $35,000 a year. And one of the advisors said, oh, if you want to save $5 million, you have to do this much a year and earn this much money. And then the other one said, are we talking about present dollars or are we talking about future dollars? And then the third one said, I don't know what your risk tolerance is. We need to be really sure we do this correctly for your risk tolerance. Those were all great answers and they're all technical answers and everybody that does what I do needs to know that. But you know what I asked him, Doc? What did you ask him? Why do you need $5 million? It just seemed like he was willing to go with holes in his shoes and eat canned tuna fish for all those years for this sort of goal that he had made up in his mind. And I thought that if he really worked on it, we could discover number one, why he, why that was his script, you know, and we all have money scripts. So we could discover why that was his script. And number two, see if we can find a way where he could have a little bit more life now and still maintain it through his retirement. And I just think that's the answer. If you want to know how to get there, you've got to know where you're going, you know. And so that's the first thing. And I will say on my websites, there's a three goals exercise that we give to everybody. You can go there and I think it'll help you think about it. Where do I really want to go? And try to think about what you want and not what your mom and dad want for you and not what your siblings want for you. But what what do you want for you? So I want to hear about the three goal website, but first I just really have to praise you. That was such a smart question to ask that young man. Because when I read that, I ran the numbers and I'm like, okay, let's say this person is making like $50,000 a year. And so, as you said, got to scrimp and save for the next 40 years. And suddenly this person's income is going to go from 50000 a year to say 4% of 5 million, which is 200000 That makes no sense at all. No, it doesn't. But uh, uh, people get uh, people get their financial cues from all sorts of places in life. Unfortunately, they get all the cues about what they need to have and what they need to wear and what they need to be and what they need to eat to be successful from advertisers. You know, I've had couples come in and tell me that their family and family time was the most important thing to them. They were both working seven hours a week and driving really expensive cars. And I had to ask myself, hmm, there's a disconnect there. You're telling me what you want and what the way you're living it has nothing to do with what you want. Right, right. Now, you said something about a three-goal exercise. Oh, well, I have three exercises uh, on my website, supportingyourchoices.com. I have that and some estate planning information and some risk management. All that's there for free. I'd love for you to go 
get it. No obligations at all. This is just sort of my gift to the community. And the three, the goals exercises, there are three of them. And one of them is, uh, I can't, it's just called the three questions exercise. It's extremely powerful. I would start off with that one and have some time to do it. The second one, I asked people to list 30 goals. And people go, 30 goals? I said, well, if I ask you for five, you'll give me really important answers like world peace. You know what I mean? I, w- I don't want that. I want clean out the uh, the tool drawer. I want to learn to speak Spanish. I want have lunch with a friend once a week. Because what you'll find is the things that really matter to you often don't have a very big financial component. They just have a commitment component. And then the last one is what makes the cut. In other words, let's get down to the things that matter really the most to you. And what could you give away? Like you'd like to have a Maserati, but it doesn't make the cut. Right, right. I had to say that to my husband about a Tesla, by the way. He really, really wanted to get a Tesla. And you might have been a part of that conversation. I don't remember. But he really wanted to get a Tesla. And I was like... Hmm, seems like a really expensive paperweight if Tesla goes out of business. Is there another car you would consider? I have had the Tesla conversation with many people. Mm. (laughs) That's a diplomatic way to say it. So, Bobby, let me ask you. Let's say, and I know you're going to say, Dolph, it depends on a lot of factors, but let's say a 35-year-old nonprofit professional making $40,000 to $50,000 a year comes to you and says, okay, I have $5,000 of savings and I know that I want to retire at some point. What questions are you going to ask and what advice are you maybe going to give this 35-year-old? Well, you know, there's a really long time horizon there. And of course, I would ask him about saving regularly and automating it because there is so much evidence stuff that if you make it where it never gets in your hand, if you just automate it and then the chances that you'll do it are so much greater. So anyway, $5,000, you know, people want to make it uh, uh, very hard. I would just go to a Vanguard target date fund. And target date means, let's say I'm 30. That means right now, and it's 2020, and I want to retire at 65, okay? That's 45 years from now, 35 years from now, excuse me. So I would say uh, 2020 plus 35 years is 2055, and I'd look at their 2055 fund. And it's probably very aggressive. But as you get older, if you put the money in there, as you get older, it gets less aggressive and less aggressive and less aggressive. So it's sort of like your set it and forget it option. Not only that, it's extremely low low cost. It just costs you you a couple of basis points. And what do I mean by that? Uh, It's like uh, basis points are 100 basis points in one percentage. And these probably cost you four or five basis points. So very cheap going. And if you had the option of putting them in a Roth IRA, do it. And I will tell you this, many of you will not have the tax uh, 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 problems in retirement, but if you just want to put it to a place where number one, you can get it before you're 59 and a half without having a penalty on it. And number two, once you get the money in there, you never have to pay tax on it or the growth ever again. Vanguard can help you with that. It's plain. It's vanilla. It is boring. But I'm here to tell you that most of the good decisions you'll make on money are boring. Uh, And it's the tortoise and the hare. 
Just keep plodding along, doing the same thing you're doing. And you will see that at the end of time, the time value of money will probably do its work. Now, I know our listeners probably want to ask you the question, okay, this 35-year-old, and we get that you don't know this person's specific situation, how much is their rent, how much is their student loans, et cetera. But let's say they're making 45000 a year. What percentage of their income should they try to be saving at 35? At 35, at 20, at 25, at 55, if they've been doing it all along, Nobody's going to like the answer, but it's 15%. Well, and I was going to say, let's assume this is a, if it's a 35-year-old with 5,000 of assets, they've not been doing it all along. So they're 35, they're like, I need to catch up a little bit. Is it still 15%? Well, uh, uh, let's start there. Okay, let's start there because I'm pretty sure that's going to be pulling teeth. Now, there's some places where an employer is going to give you a 6% match and you only have to save 9% and you're still getting 15%. You know what I mean? So so that's good. But I want to tell you one thing. If, if any of your listeners are in their 20s and they're sitting there thinking, oh, I don't need to start yet. They're talking about 35-year-olds. Great. I, I, I have years to wait. The time value of money is everything. A person that saves $2,000 a year between 20 and 30 versus a person who saves $2,000 a year between 30 and 65, who has the most money, Dolph? I'm going to guess it's the person that saves... Two grand a year from 20 to 30. That's right. Now, a lot of kids that I've worked with, and by kids, I mean older college students and stuff, or young clients, I work a lot with young clients, will tell me, oh, I'll do it when I get a raise. I'll do it when I make more money. And I'm going, oh, you mean when you have kids and a mortgage? Please, don't wait. It's never going to get easier. I will share with you that when I first got out of school, I made, got out of college, I made the intentional decision to continue to live like a poor college student and save like close to 30% of my income. And you know, everyone does things differently. I, I actually did not invest it in the market, but I bought my first house when I was 26 years old and I put like 40% down on the house and I paid it off right out, literally right after I turned 30 years old. And that made all the difference. Like that just set me up to have a much better life than if I was always, always trying to struggle and just make it work. Well, yes. And I happen to know that you've done that property thing several times and it, and it works. There's several ways to save money. I will say this. In the 70s, you could buy a house. Of course, you were going to probably pay seven and a half percent interest if you waited until the 80s. Your clients will not believe this, but you might have been paying double digit interest. But you were buying a house and you would see the value of that house appreciate, appreciate, appreciate. You could get a lot of your wealth from your house. I'm going to say I would prefer you bought it for other reasons besides the appreciation that you expect. Every time you get out of one, you're going to pay a sales commission. So I want you to do your own personal house. If it's a good investment, great. If it suits your needs and your requirements right now, even better. Right. I could not agree with you more. And it's interesting because I've actually had like financial advisors and people who are really good with money, like not financial advisors, but people who are really good with money who would say things to me like, well, you know, you'd get a better return if you took out a mortgage on your house and you invested that money. And I would always say, yeah, but I wouldn't sleep as well at night. And I can't put a price on a good night of sleep. 
my uncle Dick, who we're going to be talking about later, gave me a nice cash gift at my wedding. And he said, pay off the house. And I said, yeah, the same argument you just said. I could make so much more money if I did blah, 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 blah. And he said, pay off the house. And I did. And it was nice. It feels really good. All of your uh, listeners, I want you to know that if you go into retirement with a paid off house, not that on the books, maybe borrowing money wouldn't be better. But when the market starts gyrating around, when things go to hell in a handbasket, you're going to feel so much more secure with a paid off house. And this leads me to my thought about that particular subject. The right answer from a technical point of view is yes, you probably could. If you can borrow the money at two and a half percent, you can put it in the market. Over time, you are going to make more money, but that's just might not be the good answer. And so I'm going to encourage everybody to look for the good answer, which isn't always the technically right answer. It's the one that fits your lifestyle and your sensibilities and your heart. Completely and totally agree. And, you know, full disclosure, and I think I, you know this, I think, Bobby, but listeners don't. For the last two years, my husband and I have lived in an apartment because we sold our house a couple years ago, and we pay rent every month now. So, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule. And the funny thing is, I don't mind paying rent now. It's a nice apartment. And when something breaks, literally, I just I have this app on my phone, and I tell the landlord that, you know, it needs to be fixed, and it gets fixed. <laughs> Well, see, that's another thing. Some people aren't meant to own their old house for that very reason. The one thing I do like is the mortgage payment is fixed and rents go up. But I know you, Doc, you're just waiting for a deal. And there aren't any deals in Atlanta, Georgia right now. You are right, Bobby. That's 100%. We are waiting for the deal and we don't see it yet. Well, now let me ask you this question. What advice would you give to the 55-year-old who comes to you and says, I'm 55 years old, I have about $5,000 in savings. What should I do so I can actually retire at some point? Can I tell you another story? Sure, I love stories. Okay, so I had this couple walk in the door, and I know he's an attorney with a major law firm, and I'm expecting he's making mid-six figures a year. They give me their questionnaire and I'm looking through it and I don't see many assets on it. Then I see a very valuable home and I turn the page and I see a very large mortgage on it. They don't have much. He likes to work. This is a good thing because he might be working for a long time, but they had a lot of money scripts. And at one point she's sitting there going, why didn't we have this discussion 30 years ago? Well, I'm going to tell you that by the time you're 55, you probably need to at least meet with an hourly advisor, because if you're going to retire at 65, you've got 10 years at least to change the direction of the boat if you need to make directions or changes, change the direction. Because when you're here and the goal is way out, you don't need to make just a slight course correction. But at 55, if you need to make a correction, it's liable to be fairly stark. The good news is you might find out that you've got more than you could ever need and you could retire tomorrow if you want to. I do get to give the good news a, a lot of the time because good savers find hard time spending money and they don't need that much in retirement. There are two ways to be wealthy, have a lot or not need much. But on this couple, yes, they absolutely needed to have that discussion a long time ago. If you haven't had it, you need to at least check in with somebody and see where you are. A financial planner can 
make it so that you know what you need to save more as much as that you need to know how much risk you need to take because let's say you have saved enough you can just dial it back put a lot of bonds in the portfolio take it easy let everybody else ride the wild thing and you can just be on the baby coaster you know but if you haven't saved enough you might need to take more risk or give up some of the things that you think you want one or the other or save more so you need to kind of get a guess on that but other than that again as far as the actual investment to take you home vanguard target date works for me for the very same reasons one of the things i know from conversations that you and i've had is sometimes what a person needs to think about giving up is at what age they're going to retire. So like if you're 55 and you have $5,000 in retirement assets, you're probably not going to retire at 62. <laughs> you're never going to retire. <laughs> oh, come on, Bobby. You got to give people a little bit of hope there. No. Well, you can, Well, I will. I'll give them a lot of help. Here I am. I've spent a lot of my time working for charities, professional organizations and everything. And I'm probably going to work till I'm 75. But you know what? I like what I do. Number two, people who work longer have less dementia, better health. Just the, the list of benefits is huge, a much richer financial life. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. And sometimes I will have a 30-year-old come in the door and tell me, I want to retire when I'm 50. And I'm going, you're doing the wrong thing now. What, are we going to plan on you staying at a job you hate for 20 more years? Because I bet I could show you that even though you already have bills and a mortgage, you could transition yourself, make less money, work longer, and love it, and still come out with a better result. Amen. Bobby, I am in your chorus. Amen. Amen. Like, I'll share with you. It's funny because you know, and, and you know this, but I don't know if listeners know this, like my husband is about 10 years younger than me and he really wants to retire between 55 and 60, which is great, but I really love what I do. So I'm planning to work until my early, early 70s. So 72, 73 years old, in part because when I look at the actuarial tables, my life expectancy is between 78 and 79 years old. And I think I'll get bored after, if I have more than five years of retirement, I'm just going to be bored out of my mind. So, Well, I'm going to be here to tell you that I would expect it, well, at least one of y'all is going to live to Lanny. And it takes a big pot of money to live for 30 years post-retirement. It just does. Let me say, based on family history, it's going to be Frank that lives to be almost 90. But I just think it's funny because, you know, like he is planning on retiring between like 55 and 60. And, you know, he'll have 35 years ahead of him. And, you know, we're, we're structuring our finances so that he'll be able to do that. But kind of what you said is like, if you really love what you do, if if what you do gives you joy and you're passionate about it, why would you not do that until you're in your 70s? And what's more, if you could do something that you love now, why don't you transition to that now so it doesn't feel like work? Yes, and I'm going to tell you something else about that. Doing what you love is so important. Do something that you really like. It will pay off in spades for you over time. And retirement doesn't have to be like a line in the sand with no work on one side and a lot of work on the other side. 
Okay. Very many people for me, I will probably get someone on by the time I'm 70, which, you know, is 20 years from now. Well, not really. It's three years from now. And I will start turning stuff over to them, working three days a week, taking four weeks off at a time, as long as I'm in touch via whatever device we have like this, you know, I can actually go and take a vacation when we can actually go and take a vacation again, you know what I mean? Or I could go live in Ecuador for four weeks or something like that or half a year. There are lots of different things that you can do. I have people that are working as consultants on what was their field, doing a gig here, a gig there. And I'm telling you, even if you bring in 20000 a year in retirement, it's it's it changes the ball game, you know? So just remember, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I think most of us are better suited for it being somewhere in between. And one of the other things that I know you've suggested to folks, and I've got to tell a little bit of a personal story about this, and both my parents have, have passed away, but in their 60s, my my dad went bankrupt, which is a bad time. A really bad time to go bankrupt is in your 60s. And my parents had a three a little suburban home, three bedroom, two bath home, and all the kids were gone. And so my parents essentially rented a room in their house and it gave them an extra seven or eight hundred dollars a month until they no longer needed it. But, you know, like it was an easy way for them to bring in a little bit of money to, to kind of help out. That's right. And some people, well, and we live in a world where people think every child needs their own bedroom. You know, I I, I know houses, uh, uh, families of nine that grew up in a three bedroom, one bath house. And when mama finally get got to turn some, uh, get an extra room, she didn't want another bathroom. She wanted a closet, you know. So it amazes me at these boundaries people up. No, I, I don't like how that looks. Please, for God's sakes, don't care what anybody else thinks about your business. To be and do things that aren't normal, run-of-the-mill, is a wonderful way to live. Right. Be confident. So I know you give some great advice for how people can save for retirement without it feeling like sacrifice. Well... I have a cousin that told me that one of the things she remembers that I said is whenever I want a new piece of clothing or something like that, when I don't get it, I just tell myself, oh, I'm saving for that new house I'm going to build. So I'm going to tell you, I've had clients take their credit cards and put them in a sleeve where they put a saying that meant something to them or a picture of their family or a picture of the house they wanted to buy or whatever. So that every time they go for that thing, okay, they see that bigger goal and then they don't feel so deprived. As a matter of practical application, if you can take all your discretionary money and pay it to yourself in cash and when it's gone, it's gone, you'll spend less money. Because um, I don't care if it's a debit card. If you use it, you're liable to spend double digits more than you would if you're using cash. Cash is real. I agree. I totally agree. I'll share with you in my 20s something that worked well for me. And I've not done this in a couple decades. But in my 20s, something that worked really well for me, I tore a page out of the book, Your Money or Your Life. And one of the things that they suggest you do is you calculate your real hourly wage. And so as an example, I'm going to make all these numbers up because I'm going to try to keep the math simple. So let's say my out my hourly wage is $25 an hour. 
and then I have to take taxes out of it. So now let's say it's $19 an hour because I have to take FICA, Medicare, and all the income tax out of it. And then and then I subtract my commute costs. And so let's say my commute costs you know, end up being a dollar an hour. So now I'm at $18 an hour. And then I subtract my cost of buying work clothes and anything else that I spend money on because I have to go to work. And and then let's say instead of $25 an hour, once you've t- subtracted all of this, you realize you're only making like 15 bucks an hour. And then whenever you buy something, you sort of ask yourself, okay, this is $30. Is it worth two hours of my time? Because when you think about if your wage is $25 an hour, you think, oh, that's just barely over an hour an hour of my time. But when you subtract taxes and everything that we spend in order to work, suddenly you're like, wow, that's two hours of time. I don't know if that's worth it. And God help you if you're a parent, especially a single parent that needs childcare. And that's something we're going to have to address as a nation. It's just, those are the poor people. Those are the people going hungry at night. I agree 100%. Like, that's where the earned income tax credit has to be expanded and really cover things like child care. Uh, yeah, or just yeah, something. Of course, we don't won't get political today, but nevertheless, yes. I mean, it is very hard uh, to figure out how much something really is worth to you. And I'm going to tell you one of the best ways you can start. I've never known somebody walk into their parents' house when they died and said, oh, this is going to be easy because people accumulate so much stuff. I have prospective clients calling me and say, we need a bigger house. I go, why? They go, because we have so much stuff. And I go, well, there's an alternative to that. You could get rid of some of your stuff. Traveling light is much easier. A lot of people with tiny houses are thinking about it. I'm not asking you to live in 350 square feet. I'm just saying, don't buy so much. Don't be attracted to that crazy little thing on the end cap at the market because you will wonder why you have it five years from now or maybe even five minutes from now. Just don't get it. I am so glad you said that. As you know, I've served as the executor of a couple of states. And one of the things I'm always just literally floored by is people's treasured things that they spent really a lot of money on. You go and you get an estate broker who puts together an estate sale and, you know, has lists of antique dealers and that kind of thing. And things are selling for 10 cents on the dollar, 15 cents on the dollar. In some cases, they don't even sell. And then they just go to the St. Vincent Paul thrift store, the Goodwill thrift store. Like, it really puts everything in perspective when you realize, oh my gosh, we spent all this money on things that when we're done with them, whether we're done with them because we dispose of them or we're done with them because time is disposed with us, they don't have much value. Just yesterday, I had two of my very best friends in the world out here and I'd taken out all of my Christmas. And I had a lot of Christmas. My goodness, I had three boxes of tissue paper and wrapping paper and bows and ribbons and boxes and mailers. Regardless, I let them go through and pick out the things that they would want. So it would go to somebody who I love that it might mean something to. I had people who say I saved their antiques for their children. Guess what? Their children don't want them. You know, if you don't want it, find it a good home while you're alive. You know what I mean? If you're tired of it, push it away. If you're downsizing, oh, we can't downsize. We have so much stuff. Push it away. Push it away. And I swear your children will thank you in heaven because it can be daunting 
to have to deal with a hugely crowded house. My mother, my mother outlived my father. She had Alzheimer's. And by the time she passed away, she had lived in the same house for 45 years. And, you know, it's an emotionally difficult time. And how do you say to a sibling, I'm really sorry, but we're just going to have to rent a dumpster because a lot of this stuff has no value and you don't want it and I don't want it and neither does our brother. Like, it's the best gift that a parent can give their child is to take care of that stuff while they're alive. And this is true. I mean, when I moved down from Atlanta, you know, I gave away uh, or I got rid of about 35%. And when you start really cutting into it, you're giving away things you love. But who needs seven sets of dishes? I didn't. Right. Though I think this really has a lot to do with money. But really what you end up doing when you're cutting away is you're curating. You're curating the things that you like the best so that your life is full of things that you love that, as Marie Kondo would say, that spark joy for you. I uh, had one client turn her bonus room into a store. She had so much stuff you couldn't really see any of it. So we put a lot of it in that bonus room. And I told her next time you want to go shopping, I want you to go into your bonus room, reconnect with something that you love and trade it out with something that's showing right now. I love that. She still bought, but uh, not as much. And not only that, what was really great is she was finally able to see the stuff that she loved because when it's all in the room together, you didn't see any of it. And all you saw was just, you know, massive amounts of stuff, clutter. Bobby, I got to ask you an off the map question. And like most of them today and listeners, this is the last recording session of the day. We've done six so far today. And this is always the best one. It's always the one where I'm like, well, it's all hanging out because it's the end of my day. I know that you started a foundation, and I am hoping that you kind of share the origin story of that foundation. Well, it was my Uncle Dick, really. I called him Uncle Daddy, just like his kids did. I lost my parents when I was younger, and he was really instrumental. And he started a foundation in, I guess, 89, not much in it to begin with, 40000 and then he funded it with his will. And that particular foundation, besides a truly charitable motive, was meant to help also bind his children together in a continuing relationship of some sort. And I've got to tell you, that has been done marvelously. Anyway, we started it off with 40 in 1989, 1990. His will left a significant amount. One of the actual sons has given some money to it. And since 1992, we've probably given away five, six million dollars. Wow. I know. And we do it a lot to smaller groups that are like us because there's three board members and we can run fast and loose, but it's not that hard to do. Of course, back then when he did that, there were no things like community foundations or, uh, you know, charitable trust funds that fidelity that you could use or something like that. But you do have a chance to just define your own mission. And our mission is helping communities help themselves. Lord knows we just had a meeting and there is so much need right now. I believe in a philosophy that it's not all about money, that the, the goal is personal wealth. Well, money's the first tool that you have to have for that. And not too much. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that shows after you paid your basic bills, more money doesn't make you happier. So there's that. Then there's community wealth. And I will make the case all day long 
that unless you give back to your community and foster community wealth, you can never get to that goal of personal wealth. It's all balled up together. So I am so lucky I came from a family of givers. They would wonder if they could afford a new washing machine, but they would always give. And it's, 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 been such a pleasure and such a legacy to those to, to my cousins and I to have watched that. I, I love that. And as you said it, Uncle Dick's other purpose really was to keep the family together and almost 30, actually over 30 years later it has. And we see each other at least once a year. Actually, what has happened is we've all gravitated down to the farm almost, which was the other thing you left. And they never used to come to any of these things, the boy cousins. And now it's just a huge part of our life. And we see all of our other cousins who are down here. And it's it's great. I was saying just the other day that our parents would be so pleased. And, and, And the other thing I love about that story is it also goes to show that you don't, you know, you don't have to be a gazillionaire to live a good life, have a good retirement, and leave a legacy. Oh, there's so many stories about women who, you know, worked in the lunchroom at the local school that gave, you know, $500,000 to charity when they died. It's not about what goes in any more than it is about what goes out. And like I said, you need to find a place where there's enough. And I'm also going to tell you, if you hang around with people who have more than you, you've got to learn to accept that and not try to keep up with them. I'm not saying don't be friends with them, but I see a lot of people trying to keep up. And it's ridiculous because these people have so much money. And besides which, there will always be someone with more than you. So it's just not a winning battle. You really need to think about what is enough for you. Because I will tell you, the simpler you can keep your life, the happier you're going to be. Isn't that the object of the game? So simplicity, crucial. And that has a lot to do with knowing what is enough. I love it. Bobby, that is a great place for us to leave it. That has a lot to do with what is enough. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And listeners, you know, Bobby Monroe is someone you really need to think about reaching out to. Her URL is supportingyourchoices.com, and that's where her um, certified financial planning practice can be found. And just so you know, at that website, you can get a real idea of who Bobby and her associates are and exactly what they do to help people understand and build their personal financial life. And of course, if you're interested in the Richard C. Monroe Foundation, which is the foundation that her Uncle Dick started, that's rcmfoundation.org. Just to let you know, they primarily fund in Atlanta and Florida, but they also have a really simple application. The website actually says, hey, please try to keep this just down to one page because what we just need to know are the facts. We don't need everything else. So really simple application. Even if you're not in the region, it's worth checking out just so you can be jealous that some grantees have to complete such a simple application. Bobby, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, my URL for you is youaregreat.com. That's Dolph. Okay. And I've enjoyed the heck out of this. So Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to tell stories. As you know, I could go on and on and on. 
That is sweet, Bobby. Thank you so much. And listeners, you know, if you missed either of those two URLs, we will have them at our show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. And while you're at SuccessfulNonprofits.com, if you are looking up and you realize it's been three, four, five, or more years since you've done your strategic plan, and you're interested in working with me, then reach out as well. And you know, I always like to leave you with an episode or two that you should consider if you enjoyed this one. So if you enjoyed this conversation with Bobby, there's two I would suggest. The first is episode 171, Recession Proof Your Career with Gary Hines. And the second, and this one was actually one of my favorites from earlier in 2020, episode 149, Nail the Interview and Get the Job with Evan Peckera. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And I always really have to close with a disclaimer because the lawyers make me. I'm not an accountant, an attorney, nor a certified financial planner. And neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, and accounting advice. If that's what you think you might need, I would suggest that you ask some trusted colleagues and friends for recommendations and reach out and have conversations with licensed professionals.